0: So that's what we're going to talk about tonight um i'll turn your attention to ephesians chapter number four i'll read the first 10 verses and uh, my subject tonight my subject tonight is the power to change the power to change here begins the reading of god's word paul is writing to the church in ephesus in ephesians chapter number four he writes as a prisoner of the lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received live a life worthy of the calling live a life worthy of the calling verse 2 be completely humble this is how he wants you to be be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Because there's only one body and one spirit, just as you've, you're you called to one hope when you were called. There's just one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. Verse seven. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I'll repeat that. Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is speaking to what's going to change you. And that is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to people. Verse 9, Paul now is quoting from the psalms what does he ascended means except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions verse 10 he who ascended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill the whole universe so far that's the scripture and 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 verse 9 and 10 i i agree are somewhat confusing so i will attempt to unravel them in this study tonight <laughs> the subject is the power to change. And I'll ask you for a little grace tonight because I'm I'm preaching teaching to myself while teaching you as well. So, at the start of every new year, around 45%, the research tells us. 45% of Americans seize upon this desire for a fresh start, like, right? Like we just did at the beginning of this new year. We make one or more resolutions or promises to ourselves. And we know what those resolutions are, right? It's a commitment that we make to ourselves regarding a project or a habit, or that's usually called for some kind of change in our lifestyle, our habits, or some other change. Perhaps you want to lose a few pounds. Perhaps you want to exercise a bit more. Maybe you want to get out of debt or some other nagging challenge to your peace of mind along with a few others. These are the top ranked resolutions made by Americans each and every year. We, we, we become determined. We, we join a fitness club or we enroll in a 12 step program. We buy a book or, or a couple of books for that matter. We become determined to create a plan for change. Yet the same research tells us that every year, 97% of us with our firm resolutions fail to make it past the spring. Early efforts prove that what what we call a flash in the pan, and in the end, we, we don't lose the weight, we end up not exercising anymore. We, we, we don't get out of debt as we wanted to. And usually by June, our resolutions are over and we are left unchanged. We are left unchanged. And even more significant, uh, watch this. There are scores of people who claim Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, but, but whose lifestyle shows little change shows little difference from those who make no such claim. Let me put it like that. It's so common that that we no longer think it all strange that those who say they're a child of God, a Christian, a Jesus follower, routinely behaves like the world. We talk like the world. We engage in unmarried sex like the world. We struggle with rage and anger like the world. The research says we divorce at the same rate. as as the world we do we do we do business unethically like the world yet all the while saying and believing that jesus has delivered us from the world and the sins they they are persisting and so we believe that we are therefore heaven-bound even though we have not experienced any real change Let's take these patterns down to a personal level. There are some, even in in our Bible study tonight and in our church, who still struggle and agonize, me included, to be free of some old habits, some weakness of the flesh, even some sinful patterns that took root in your life long ago in your pre-Christian days, yet years into your walk with God after multiple attempts and much prayer, you and me, let me include myself in this, remain unchanged. Why is that? And so tonight I want to address that. Looking first at myself, we want to hear what the scripture has to say about this this power that God has given us to change us. Now there are some resources that God has already given to us that are already available in Christ Jesus that will help us to break free from those patterns that have a grip on us. And and if you were in our study, not last, the week before, when I talked about transformation, I took my text from this same passage, Ephesians chapter number four, and we talked about transforming from the inside out. But if we go all the way back up to verse number one, where he talks about walking worthy of the calling that we have received, I wondered what does this mean exactly, and I believe it's a picture of if you were to look at a scale. Right on one side, you put all that Jesus has done for you and is and is for you, and then on the other side, it's this walking worthy that you need. You and I need to do. It mean, all is said and done, both sides of the scale should maybe not balanced but it should be it shouldn't be like this because what jesus has done for us vastly outweighs whatever we can do right and it's not by works anyway right in other words our behavior our attitudes our words even our inner thoughts should begin to reflect the impact that jesus's life has had in me And it should begin to start showing on the outside. In other words, we should see some change. We should see some change. And then verse 2 in our text, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2, shows us what your life will look like when you're walking worthy. It says, number one, you, you will be humble. Rather than self-centered, you will be gentle rather than argumentative. You should be patient rather than reactionary and forbearing rather than being judgmental towards other people. Pastor Nate's been on that kick for the last few months, right? Don't judge others. Look at yourself first. And so we will be the sort of people who will generate harmony. Harmony with those that are around us. This is described in in verses three through six. So many of the sinful habits and patterns uh, we are losing the battle with have to do with these attitudes. (laughs) So how do we become like this? To find our answers, we are going back to the text. And let me take you on a little journey with Jesus. Verse seven says, (laughs) this is a pretty mysterious portion of scripture. So let me prepare you for that. This is the period when Jesus went down to hell if you will. The Bible talks about the period between his death and his resurrection. What was Jesus doing during those 3 days in in hell? Let's call it that or in Hades. And how can that help us to understand that our long standing addictions or Our challenges, how can he help us break free from those or maybe forgive someone who has deeply wounded us or maybe break this habit of cursing or pornography or whatever it is. If you are ready for real life change in Christ, take a look at what happened at that particular time beyond the grave. Let's go to verse seven. And I'll repeat it here. It says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9. But what does he ascended mean except that he descended first into the lower parts of the earth. The one who descended is the same one who then ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So I learned a few biblical principles that I want to share in this teaching tonight. Principle number one, every Christian can change and indeed must change according to verse seven. In in, in in some parts of the South, like Louisiana, uh, and even further South, like in Jamaica or in the Caribbean or even to Africa, there are certain words. The word in Louisiana is lagniape, lagniape, taken from the French. In Jamaica, we call it brata, brata. For those of you who are Jamaican you'll know that means a little it's a little something extra right it's a little something more a little brata um it refers to an unexpected gift that you did not know was coming uh many of you would remember the the jack in the box or jack cracker jacks cracker jacks uh, uh popcorn that we used to eat as children and inside the cracker jack box there was always or almost always a little something extra, a little gift that was given to you by the company. And and you would sometimes buy the the Cracker Jacks just for the gift, right? Because at one time they they were giving out collectibles because they wanted you to buy more and more Cracker Jacks. You see, when you were saved, particularly when you received the Holy Ghost, Jesus threw in some extra, some brata, your way. After showing you grace by saving your soul, giving you his Holy Spirit, then he added something extra, something very special. Along with saving grace, he gave you the ability to serve what we're calling serving grace. Verse 7 again. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. To every true believer Jesus gives the capacity the enabling, the supernatural ability to pass on grace to others. If you've ever taken my First Steps class, I talk a little bit more about this, right? Uh, God gives us the ability to affect others, right? He works on you so that you can become a conduit, an ambassador of God's grace, of his goodness in the life of others. He rewrites your inner programming so that you become a channel through whom he can work, so you can pass on that grace, so that others are affected, so that others are encouraged, so that others are motivated and are encouraged to be changed likewise by the Spirit of God. When you were filled with the Holy Spirit, you were giving supernatural power from heaven. Ah... In Acts chapter number 1, verse 8, you know it well. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me at home in Jerusalem, the next door in Judea, and in Samaria, a foreign country, and then to the uttermost part of the earth, the end of the earth. Acts chapter number 1, verse 8. That's that power that first changes you. Hallelujah. 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 And then it gives you the ability to affect and change your world to the uttermost part of the earth. You remember Acts 17, chapter number 17, verse 6? Speaking of the apostles, the Bible says that when the Jews found them, speaking of the apostles, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the cities, crying, these that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Speaking of the apostles. So the power that God has given to us when we receive the Spirit of God enables you to turn your world upside down. So once again, Jesus is reworking, rewriting your inner programming so that you can become an effective and significant witness to impact your world for Jesus. And please notice that that personal touch in the last part of that verse that I read earlier. He said, quote, this grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Jesus acts out his own generosity in each of us, exactly tailoring this gift of grace to fit who you are specifically for you, aligned with your strengths and avoiding your weaknesses. In other words, if if you were an introvert when you were saved, the strength of your introverted personality would be used to the grace of God. If you were an extrovert, similarly, God would use you with your giftedness. If you had the gift of gab, guess what? You'll end up teaching or preaching or something similar. Maybe being an evangelist on the street corner or something. Do you understand what I mean? God uses what your unique personality brings to the table so that it can give glory to God and give great joy in your life as well. Here it is again in scripture. Every Christian can change. Going back to that reference that I gave you two weeks ago of the the caterpillar eventually changing into a butterfly. The caterpillar doesn't get a vote on whether it will become a butterfly. You know, it doesn't try on its cocoon to see if it likes the idea before it moves into its cocoon. God has built this transformation into your DNA, into your programming, into your very essence. Amen. Your holy ghost package and giftings that was specifically designed for you when you surrendered your life to Christ already has everything you need to transform into the image of Christ that he intended for you to be. It's oh. already in there. It's in the box. It's in the box. It's in the box. And so in the same way, true Christians, here we go again. We are changed from the inside out for the Caterpillar using that same metaphor. He was always meant to fly. But here he is crawling around. Hmm. Come on, somebody. I know that's for somebody. But you were meant to fly. Jesus is, has equipped you to experience flight—that abundant life of glorifying God in all you do. That's going to be your flight. So, so anytime you hear someone who claims to be a child of God, a a Jesus follower, um, I can't help the way that I am. I've tried, but you know, they'll say, it, you know, that just doesn't work for me. It always reminds me that either that person is doubting the gift of God inside them because there's got to be a disconnect, right? They are either confused or they're not completely converted in the image of Christ. So, so think of that place or time in your life when perhaps you struggled with a particular thing and you repeatedly failed. I want you to find a mirror some sometime after this and point to the person in the mirror. And I want you to say to the person in the mirror, God's not finished with me yet, I'm still changing. I'm still changing. I'm still, I'm not flying yet. I'm not, fl- but I know flying is in my DNA. It's in my programming. Come on, somebody. Uh, You can say it to your spouse, to your friends, to your neighbors, I am still changing. It's not evident, but I was programmed to fly. Is that all right? Amen. Amen. The second principle I want to teach you is life change was secured by Jesus. We see this in verses 8 and 10, 8, 9, and 10 of our texts. (laughs) So, walk with me through some unfamiliar territory. This is going to sound weird to some of you, but this is at the very heart of your transformation into Christ likeness. Verse 8 takes us to an Old Testament quote that I referred to earlier in Psalm 68. based on God's eternal intention to give you the gift of grace right that that grace that will be given to each believer through Christ it says quote when he ascended on high he led the captives he gave gifts to men or to people uh, we cannot understand what this means unless we grasp the context of psalm 68 <laughs> Look at Psalm 68 in its in its envelope, in the context. David wrote it and drew from his knowledge of military strategy in celebrating the triumph of God over Israel's enemies when he was writing that. You see, in ancient times when a nation conquered another nation, its enemies, the victorious king would lead a great processional through the streets of his home city, and behind him, marched all of his troops in shining battle array. And along with the soldiers there were the prisoners of war that had been captured by the enemy who were now freed by their victorious king. Next in line are the conquered enemies behind them led by their defeated king, right? And they're in chains and they're humiliated and they're in utter defeat. And finally behind them were the livestock and the wagons of what they call the, the, the spoils of war, the full of gold and silver and jewelry and all the valuable things captured from the enemy's camp. And when the procession arrived at the palace, the king would then order, watch this, he would order the distribution of the spoils. He gave gifts to men. He would order the distribution of the spoils of war. <laughs> And one by one, the people would then be given some token of the king's victory, which would serve as a constant reminder of the triumph over this formidable enemy. Now, take into consideration Ephesians 4, verse 8, which describes this procession led by Jesus. He ascended on high. He led captives. He gave gifts to men, right? It's mirroring that ancient um, procession that was typical in, the, in that time. We know a tremendous battle has been won by our Lord. He, he took on the full force of a world of sin, and it was allied with the enemy, the devil, Satan himself, and his armies. And then the final battle occurred on top of a hill outside Jerusalem, a place of the skull called Golgotha. And there suspended above the earth on a cross, Jesus unfolded the most surprising, unusual strategy ever conceived. So thoroughly taking our sins and his body that the Bible says he became sin for us. And along with the curse of God, sin brings, and then paying that penalty in full by his willing and innocent death in our place. And in response to that, Colossians 2.15 tells us that God disarmed the rulers and authorities of the demonic forces of hell. And he disgraced them publicly when he triumphed over them by Jesus. So King Jesus has in his processional ascension to heaven, the defeated forces of the enemy. He also leads a host of captives. And we'll explain that on in a little bit more later. Finally, he gave the gifts to men, to his people. That gift that God gave you. Come on now. Your, your unique ability to, to pray, your unique ability to teach, your unique ability to be a Sunday school teacher, your unique ability to sing, gifts, your gifts, right? I'm spiritualizing it now. Along with the gift of the Holy Spirit, God gave you these gifts to serve as a reminder of your calling as a believer, a token of the triumph over the enemy. But don't miss what happened in the battle. Verse 9 tells us that he descended then to the lower parts of the earth between his death and his resurrection. Jesus went to a specific place for a specific purpose. And, and, And while we don't know the geography of this place, we do get a hint about what he was doing there in 1 Peter chapter number three. Verse 18 and 19, we read that, quote, he was put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. In that state, he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. So while they were burying his dead body here on earth, his spirit was very much alive and active in the spiritual realm, preaching to those dead bodies those were those that were spiritually in captivity uh, in the old days uh, the old testament and also in the gospels the bible gives us brief glimpses into that place where the dead would go while they await final judgment Jesus referred to this place in Luke 16 as he focused on his death. And he talked about the death of the rich man, Lazarus. You remember that? Uh, The Bible says when the rich man died, he went to a place of torment uh, called Hades, which is the place of those lost in sin. But that Jesus' friend, Lazarus, also died and went to what Jesus called Abraham's bosom, or a place of rest, a place of paradise, a place of those made righteous by God's gift. Peter says it was to this place that Jesus went and proclaimed liberty to the captives. He announced his credentials, he declared his victory, and this was the rest of what his cry meant when he said, it is finished on the cross. He had fulfilled God's will for him. He had done the job that he was born to do. He had broken sin's power, and he then declared, it is finished. It is finished. He had won the battle. He makes this proclamation to those who had believed in God's promise of provisions for sin in this coming Messiah, and he declared his triumph to those who had rejected God. To some, To some it was a message of unspeakable joy, but to others it sealed their fate of doom. Jesus went to that place of the dead not to stay, but to tear the gates of hell off of their hinges, so to speak. The implication here and elsewhere is that he emptied paradise of those who trusted in God's coming of the Messiah. Of Savior. And he led them home in this processional we were talking about in First Peter chapter number four, verse six. You can read about that. So you say, okay, I get it, Jesus won, but how does that help me? Well, that will take us to our final principle, principle number three. This time we act on the truth. All of us have seen what happens when it rains, right? You've, I don't know about these uh, younger people, but I used to love when it rained in Jamaica um, because it would rain so hard sometimes. It would rain for an hour maybe or maybe longer. And if it rains hard enough, water will find the path of least resistance, doesn't it? It will flow to the lowest point and let it rain hard enough The water will cut a groove in the dirt. Have you ever seen that? The water will cut a groove in the dirt. And after lots of rain and years of that, that groove can become a trench, right? A stream. And then eventually hundreds of years of that and that trench can become a riverbed that eventually leads back out into the oceans. How do you stop water from flowing down the path of least resistance? Well, you build a dam. Talk to Duke Power about that, right? You build a dam. And that's the same thing you need to do in your mind. How do you stop temptation from traveling down the well-worn path of sin it has found in you? Well, you dam it up. Now, let me show you something that directly connects this account to what is happening in our lives. Romans 6 teaches us in verse 1 through 4 when he says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may multiply? God forbid. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it, is what Paul's saying. You're dead to sin. You shouldn't be messing with that anymore. Or, he says, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ... We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into his death in order that Jesus as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. So we too, we too, don't miss that. We too, just like him, would walk in newness of life. So breaking free from the dominant power of sin is not an option for me. It's a requirement. As a Christian, everything Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection is also available to me. It applies to me when I receive the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that will give you the power to change, the power to break free from sin and to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen in an instant But over time, just like the caterpillar being transformed into a butterfly, if you remain in him, you will find your tastes changing. You'll no longer want to do the things of this world. You'll no longer crave the things of this world the way you used to. The change, the transformation has begun. And just like the caterpillar, you soon will soar and fly like a butterfly. Jesus died for sin. I died to sin. He was raised victorious. I, too, am raised victorious. So let me conclude with this. Uh, You say, Pastor Don, cut to the bottom line. Okay. How how does all of this enable me to change, to become more like Christ? Well, you yield to the Spirit. The Bible says those who are led of the Spirit (coughs) are the sons of God. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You remember that one? It is the spirit of Christ that does the transformation, y'all. Your DNA has to be changed. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 4, 7 through 10 describes the moment in objective history when your spiritual freedom and transformation begun. All you have to do is remain in Christ. I I didn't say remain in church, remain in Christ and be completely converted. Uh, I have to brag on Mother Drummond a little bit more. So my grandmother, my my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, whenever she would see a a child of God acting out, she would say, uh, I have not so learned Christ or, he needs to be completely converted or she needs to be converted or they're not completely converted. She was always saying they, they need to get it a little deeper. The objective of the caterpillar was always to fly. And if you have not yet start to transform, we should begin to see signs of your transformation. When I got saved, it didn't happen right away, but if you ask my mom, she'll tell you. I eventually gave away all my records, my amplifiers, my my turntables, my speakers even, microphones, everything. I just lost the taste for it. I lost the taste for it. Uh, I, I felt like the Lord was moving me on to something different. And Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5:17, if any man be in Christ he is a new creature the old things are passed away behold all things are now become new. So if that is so why do I still mess up sometimes and perhaps even lose more than I win? Well it could be one of two reasons. Maybe I'm not completely submitted to the spirit of God. I'm not being led By the Spirit of the Lord. And you may not even believe that you've won the complete victory over sin. And that then speaks to whether or not you are completely converted. It starts with your believing. Believing that God has done this work in your life. And that the Spirit of God is transforming you. You have to believe The question is, do you believe? The fight against sin is called the fight of faith, right? Paul says it, you know, let's fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. You win by by trusting or believing that Jesus has already beaten your worst enemy. So walk in victory and pick up those spoils of war, those gifts that he gives. And so finally, I ask you. Do you truly believe? Do you truly believe? Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, that's my teaching for tonight. That's all I have. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area,